BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, I am talking to Dr. Rupi Ajala of The Doctor's Kitchen about all things lifestyle and nutrition. Dr. Ajala is a medical doctor who specializes in general practice. He also does a bit of emergency medicine, and he's a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle change as medicine. He has three cookbooks, The Doctor's Kitchen, Eat to Beat Illness, and Doctor's Kitchen 321. And on his website and newsletter, you'll find recipes, lifestyle tips, and lots of evidence-based information from an open-minded, straight-talking doctor. He also has a great podcast, The Doctor's Kitchen, so make sure to check that out. And today we cover a lot. We talk about how his own journey led him to be interested in lifestyle and nutritional medicine. We talk about what we should all stop doing today and start doing today, really simple tips. We talk about the pillars of health, how to navigate different diet approaches, how to adopt an intuitive approach to wellness. We talk all about sugar, what kinds and how much are okay, including artificial sweeteners. We also talk about what to look to incorporate in each meal. And he has a great tip for how he started to change his own lifestyle just by changing one thing and so much more. So I loved chatting with him and love his really kind of straightforward, reasonable, agnostic approach to nutrition and how to eat for health. So enjoy. All right. Welcome to the show. So excited to talk to you today. Me too. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So first, I just want to ask, I found you through your TED Talk, and I just want to know how stressful is doing a TED Talk? Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) It is um, pretty nerve-wracking. Really weird, because I do a lot of talks, right? And I generally don't get nervous now, because I've done them so many times. But I think when you're in an intimate audience, and there's that 
famous red dot carpet and the lights are on you and it's being filmed and you've rehearsed it over and over again, there's some sort of anxiety trigger that just goes off. And so when I, I haven't actually watched that talk back more than once because I, I always pick up on like the minutiae of things that I did slightly incorrect, but ultimately the message hopefully shone through. I mean, it reached you, which is great. Uh, and the fact that we're having this conversation means that I can amplify the message. Um, but yeah, no, it's pretty scary, um, but definitely something I would highly encourage other people to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, the message was incredible. And I think we're our own worst critics. I think that no matter what, like any interview, any talk, you come away from it saying, oh, I wish I said that and I shouldn't have said this and just nitpicking and other people. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell 100%. us a little bit about yourself and what, what you're doing and how your kind of journey led you towards medicine and um, nutritional medicine? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a practicing doctor. I trained as a general practitioner here in the UK. In America, it's a Dean family physician. I also do emergency medicine as well. And my story really started through personal experience when I got ill myself over 12 years ago when I just qualified as a junior doctor. I started suffering from um, atrial fibrillation episodes which are where your heart beats exceptionally fast. In my case, it was about 200 beats per minute and very irregularly as well. And what I found was after you know seeing all the different cardiologists and being put on drugs and all the rest of it, I was, I was offered something called an ablation, which is a surgical procedure to, to ring fence the misfiring cells that are found around the pulmonary vein. And I was 100% going to go for this procedure. And it was actually my family, my mum in particular, who said, you, know, you should really think about optimizing your diet and lifestyle before you engage in quite an invasive procedure. And as someone who was conventionally trained in medicine, I thought she was just completely bonkers and she had no idea what she was talking about. She's not medically trained. She's got no formal education in that respect. She was just uh, a, a well educated, Indian housewife who has had her own sort of, you know, businesses and all the rest of it. But to appease her, I'll be honest, I, I said to her, okay, fine, I'll do six months of diet and lifestyle and see what happens. And my cardiologists were like, fine, continue taking the drugs and then we'll see you in six months for this procedure. And I just started from a back to basics approach. You know, I'd have cereal in the morning that went out and I introduced more nuts and seeds and more plant-based ingredients. I always went to work with my Tupperware full of greens and dark green leafy vegetables. And again, largely plants. I started meditating. I started changing up my exercise regime. I wasn't overweight. I didn't have any pre-existing medical issues. I was a normal, quote unquote, healthy 24-year-old. And it was the strangest experience because I would fastidiously note down when I was having AF episodes two to three times a week on average. And that went from two to three times a week to zero over the course of around a year and a half. And during that time period, when I realized it's been like two months, then three months, then six months, no episode, no episode. I was like, how on earth this is happening? Why is this happening? And also, why wasn't I taught about this kind of stuff at medical school? And so me starting the doctor's kitchen and me having more open, honest conversations with patients 
it's really born out of my own personal anecdotal experience of how powerful nutrition and lifestyle can be. And also the frustration as to why I wasn't taught about this at medical school. And we can talk about it a bit later, but I'm trying to rectify that lack of information being delivered for a new generation of medics who are more appreciative, uh, who, who will be more appreciative of lifestyle medicine. This show is supported in part by our friends over at Ned CBD. I'm sure you've heard of CBD. In fact, you've probably been inundated with ads and maybe you're wondering what it actually is and whether it's legit. So I wondered the same thing and I was very wary because of my sobriety, but the more I learned about Ned, the more comfortable I became with it and it has really helped me so much. So CBD is good for helping symptoms of anxiety, stress, insomnia, nausea, pain, and more. And Ned's CBD is gently and safely extracted, not using heat or high pressure. The products contain zero isolates or synthetic ingredients, and they're really fully transparent, sharing third-party lab reports on their site so you know what you're getting. You also know where it's coming from, which is an independent farm in Colorado. So they have a full spectrum hemp oil. They have sleep oil, which is amazing. They have a natural cycles line for hormone regulation. They have body butter, which is so good if you have sore muscles or aches and pains. They have lip balm. They also have some pretty special products available for subscription members. Like recently, they had a nutritive herbal salt. I've talked about this before. I'm still putting it on everything. And they have a mellow blend with magnesium that actually doesn't have CBD in it, but it's really calming and amazing. I recently started getting terrible flying anxiety and I took some full spectrum CBD during my flights to and from New York and it really helped so, so much. And it also really helps me around my period when I get terrible anxiety and insomnia. It takes it from like a 10 or a 12 to like a manageable three or four. So if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, go to www.helloned.com slash blonde, B-L-O-N-D-E, or enter blonde at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Again, that's helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash blonde, B-L-O-N-D-E to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Hey, I'm Molly Carmel, an eating disorder and addiction therapist and your coaching guide. On my show, What You're Craving, we get to the real root of your problems when it comes to food, weight, dieting, and beyond. Through honest conversations with the crew of my favorite experts and friends, we'll expand our minds, we'll learn, we'll laugh, we'll even heal. Get ready to break open and break through. I've got your back big time. And together, we'll figure out what you're really craving. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode anywhere you listen to podcasts. I've heard you talk about this before, and I think that you you did say that you know, the medical training is a little bit different in the United States. And I think you said that there is a little bit more of an emphasis on lifestyle and nutrition here, but even just from doctors that I know here and my dad's a doctor, he did this, you know, many decades ago, of course. So it's changed since then, but still, I mean, there does seem like there's still very little emphasis 
on it. So what was that experience like where you trained? Yeah. So my personal experience of nutrition training at medical school was near non-existent and it's pretty reflective of the the current state of uh, medical training in the UK. So on a, we actually did um, some research on this. On average, across 20 different medical schools that were surveyed in this piece of research, the average amount of nutrition training was five hours um, across the span of a five to six year degree. And of that nutrition training, a lot of it is impractical stuff. So we're looking at severe vitamin deficiencies or how to maintain nutrition stores for someone who's in ITU. So pretty impractical when we're looking at the tidal wave of chronic lifestyle related illnesses. And then the US is, as you've mentioned, you know, there are 40, I think, medical schools who have a culinary medicine program, but that is quite different across all those different universities. So some will have one module, others will have a, a huge suite of different modules where they can learn about eating for depression, the uh, biochemistry of nutrition, type two diabetes, as well as culinary techniques as well, which is what we're trying to do in the UK and really you know, take the baton essentially from across the pond and actually try and run with it over here. But you're right, the training probably hasn't changed that much since your your father was a physician in medical school. And, that, and it definitely has changed. And you know what? One of the things that I think is definitely happening is that, unfortunately, a lot of medics are getting sick themselves. Mm-hmm. So my case is pretty rare, like having AF and that heart condition at age 24 with no pre-existing issues or a family condition. It's pretty unusual. What is more usual, unfortunately, is obesity, prediabetes, and a whole bunch of other uh, related issues r- related to metabolic syndrome. And we know what happens when you're diagnosed with that. You go on one drug and then a second drug, and you experience side effects, and then all of a sudden you have another condition. And so people are almost rebelling against the fact that we don't want to become patients ourselves. And it's kind of selfish to think about it that way, but hopefully that's enough to sphere and to spur on conversations with patients that are more open, honest, and actually reflective of the evidence base that suggests diet and lifestyle is a huge, huge factor in preventing illness as well as treating them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you you do see kind of a pattern that a lot of people that become healers or helpers have their own experience. And I think nothing better than having your own experience like you did to kind of galvanize you to try to make a change. Mm. So you mentioned that you started meditating, you started cooking. What do you think the the pillars of wellness are? Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it, to see, you know, if there is any one area that has more of an impact. And obviously my bias is food. And I see food as a gateway drug to the other pillars or foundations of wellness. And the reason why I think it's so special is because everything that we do from an evolutionary standpoint has been in the pursuit of food, whether it be sharing food, whether it be hunting for food, whether it be the communal aspect. But if you really dig down, and I like to take an evolutionary perspective on most things, what would our lives looked like thousands of years ago during hunter-gatherer days. We would have woken up early because we want to give ourselves the best chance of getting as much sunlight as possible, 
to give us enough time to forage, to give us time to stalk and hunt. We would have walked long periods of time over masses of terrain. That would have been our exercise. During that time, we would have been as still and as concentrated as possible because you want to be very perceptive of danger from predators as well as perceptive of what potential things that you want to look out for, whether it be foraging or, or other animals. And then you would have come back and you would have had that shared sense of community with people that you shared your village with, or your tribe with. And so if you unpick all those elements that are all in the pursuit of food, you have your exercise, your sleep hygiene, your, 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 your well-being in terms of mental well-being and your sense of purpose all wrapped up into one. And so that's why my sort of bias is toward those. But of course, in today's modern age, we need to be thinking about periods of space where we allow ourselves to think and actually have a break from social media. Um, I actually find podcasting is quite an interesting way of doing that because I don't have my phone with me. I have a one-on-one conversation with yourself. I have as little to no distractions as possible. And unfortunately, it's through the screen. Pre-pandemic would have been in person. But, you know, these things definitely have therapeutic value in my, in my um, opinion. And I think one thing that I'm working on myself is sleep. Uh, I think everyone's probably got an issue with sleep, whether it be because of kids or other distractions that you have or ruminations. You know, I think we're all guilty of, of not getting enough sleep. So that, that, those are sort of my, my foundations or pillars or, or ideas around wellness that I think everyone should, um, should try and optimize. You'd be surprised at, at what happens when you, when you do that. So with so many different approaches to eating healthy, so many different diets, so much information, um, so many influencers. I'm an influencer, but I call it out. They're <laughs> pushing different approaches and a lot of people are very dogmatic about it. What is your approach to eating for health? Yeah, so I like, uh, like you're probably alluding to, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to dietary approaches. And it's kind of reflective of the themes that I talk about in books and in podcasts and all that kind of stuff, which is why, you know, I'll, I'll interview someone who's, who's a, a registered dietitian who does keto for certain patients versus someone who will go low carb who, versus someone who is vegan. You know, I don't really get too bogged down in the specific requirements of each diet. What I like to do is actually look at the similarities between them all. And really, if you break down a lot of the barriers, 80, 85, maybe 90% of all these diets are the same. So they remove the bad stuff, sugar, processed food, poor quality fats, increase plants, colors, variety, have mainly whole foods, so less sugar, all the, the refinement process that goes into making flowers you're putting to one side, and then you also eat according to your intuition as well as to how you feel you should be cooking, uh, should be eating and, and on all the other parameters. And it's so surprising to see that that simple strategy works. So no wonder when you look at studies and someone's been put on a, a vegan diet versus a standard American diet, of course, the vegan diet looks great someone's put in a low carb diet versus the standard American diet. Of course, the low carb diet is going to look great. And when you look at all the diets together and you look at specific parameters, and unfortunately in nutritional science, we're sort of wedded to this idea of weight loss being a really good proxy for health and well-being. 
unfortunate as it may, if you look at those studies and you, and you and they put different diets up against each other, they all have the same outcome. Everyone lost weight. And, and really, the, the biggest determining factor isn't type of diet. It's how willing you are to invest time and actually stick to that diet. So really, my, my ask to anyone listening is like, choose a diet that you find is conducive to your lifestyle, that you feel is achievable for you, and importantly, one that you really truly enjoy and stick with that. And you'll be surprised, you know, that that's literally all you need to do. Find something that you really enjoy, you're passionate about, and your health will thrive because you're you're doing pretty much what all diets do, which is get rid of the bad stuff, increase the good stuff. I think that's such an important key that so many people overlook. It's like you have to enjoy it. Otherwise it's not gonna be sustainable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that so many things have been vilified. I I get questions from women every day asking, like, can I have a piece of fruit in the morning? I'm like, I am not this is not my wheelhouse. But I think that especially in the wellness space, like influencers have really kind of become the the go-to for some of these people. And I don't blame them. Um, a lot of mm. influencers and and, you know, people who aren't necessarily credentialed have kind of made themselves experts. But yeah, I, I think that like people just, they've become so, so afraid of food and of eating the wrong thing. And I love your approach because it's so like manageable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I come up with the same sort of things as well with people messaging and with people who unfortunately have gone down the wrong rabbit hole and now have become fearful about sugar in all its forms, right? Or have found that this one particular person has said, you know, you need to get rid of all grains because that's going to help with your autoimmune condition or IBS or insert symptom, you know? And, and unfortunately, social media isn't geared towards discussing nuance in the way that a podcast, for example, is where we can actually have a conversation about why one size doesn't fit, fit all and why you need to encourage people to be more intuitive about what they should be eating and how that reflects their own needs and their personalities and, and yada, yada, yada. So it's why I've kind of fallen out of love with social media in, in, on a number of occasions. And also why if I was to turn the lens on myself, I'm very conscious of me just being like a big microphone without being able to filter what content is appropriate for what person. And as someone who is a medic, you know, I, I feel like a heightened sense of responsibility to take control of that and to remind people of their need to curate the digital landscape. Because if I don't, then something that I say about, let's say my last podcast was about sugar, for example, and about the unfortunate effects that that can have on the developing brain as well as young adult brains as well, and, and also obviously dementia and type 2 diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. But if that was listened to by someone who is already anxious about food, that's going to have a net negative effect, and that's not something that I want to do. So I've almost started to consistently put out reminders to people you shouldn't be following me if you have an unhealthy relationship with healthy eating, because that is something that unfortunately is growing in 
propensity and, and, you know, putting the lens on myself, like, like I said, which I'm, I'm, I'm always very happy to do. Um, I need to, to, to be a little bit more mindful of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw you do that. And I just think that's great because sometimes <laughs> it's not, I mean, I'd say that too, if I'm not bringing you value and if I'm not, if you're not feeling good, you know, digesting my content, that's okay. Um, yeah. We, you know, we have so much control over what we see. You know, I think a lot of people are feeling really stressed and really impacted by social media and it can be really difficult, but ultimately we, we curate what we see for the most part. And I love that. um, I saw that. I think when you were doing a podcast on weight loss and you were like, if you have a difficult relationship with food and if this is triggering, don't follow me. And I think more people should do that. If there's ever been a year to make the mom or the women in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, it is this one. This year has been so hard for families and relationships in general, and that's why I'm honoring the important women in my life. And mom, I know you're listening to this, so please fast forward (laughs) with a sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever, and that is StoryWorth. This is honestly the most thoughtful idea. So StoryWorth is an online service that helps your mom, grandmother, mother-in-law, and every mother figure in your life share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with them, especially if you can't be together in person. So every week, StoryWorth emails the woman that you choose, like your mom or grandmother or mother figure, a different story prompt. So questions you've never thought to ask, like, what is some of the best advice your mother ever gave you? Or if you could choose any talents to have, what would they be? And after one year, StoryWorth will compile all of the stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. This makes for such a great family keepsake that can be passed down or made for someone special in your life. I love the element of surprise. There's no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories, and they just make your family feel close even if you're not together. StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn more about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. I am loving getting to learn a different side of the women in my life and learn about their lives in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. So give your mom, grandmother, friend, or mother figure the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash blonde. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash B-L-O-N-D-E. And you will get $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's storyworth.com slash blonde. I am sure you have seen Beekeepers Naturals on the gram and you might be wondering what the hype is about. So Beekeepers Naturals has a whole line of products ranging from honey. Definitely try the bee chill. It's hemp infused. So I put it in my matcha in the morning for that calm alertness vibe. It's great. They also have just a ton of wellness products. And one of them in particular, Bee Propolis, is a must have for everybody. And here's why. 
So Bee Immune Propolis Throat Spray is a spray with a very special, potent, natural ingredient called propolis. I talked to Carly, the founder of Beekeepers Naturals, who honestly is just great. She's so passionate about all of this. And she taught me that bee propolis acts as the medicine of the beehive. It fights germs and protects the bees with over 300 beneficial vitamins and minerals. And it's just as beneficial to human beings as it is to bees. This ingredient is actually widely used in other cultures to treat all sorts of things. So it's not just kind of this woo-woo thing. And it really changed the trajectory of Carly's life and healed her in such a profound way. And she's really good at explaining this. So I'm going to be sure to have her on the show. But back to Bee Immune Propolis Throat Spray. It is great as a daily ritual to support your immune system, or you can spray it to soothe a scratchy, uncomfortable throat. I could use a little bit right now. They also have some other amazing products. So like I said, the Bee Chill Honey is so good. And yeah, just go check them all out on the website. There's something for everybody. For a limited time, Beekeepers Naturals is offering my listeners an exclusive deal. They will ship you a free two-week supply of Bee Immune Propolis Throat Spray. All you have to do is pay $5 for shipping. So to claim this deal, just visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash blonde files. This deal is not available on their regular website. So make sure you go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash blonde files. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E. F-I-L-E-S. And this deal is only going to be good through the end of April. Start prioritizing your immune health today. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5. No questions asked. You can also find Beekeepers Naturals nationwide in over 2,000 stores, including Target, Whole Foods, and Sprouts. If somebody is listening to this and they want to start implementing some changes, how do you recommend that they navigate that more intuitively? Yeah, I think that's a really good, really good question. I think the first thing is to recognize if there is an issue. And there are a number of questionnaires online where you can try and determine whether you may or may not have an unhealthy relationship with healthy eating. I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but it's certainly something I see a lot in clinic. And actually, during the UK last year, around August time, there was this heightened sort of promotion of weight being an issue for a lot of us. And unfortunately, it is. It's like the elephant in the room. But the sort of blanket approach to to telling the entire nation to go on a diet, I think, had some negative collateral. Um, and and I was privy to that in in clinic, and even people coming to A and E who had flare-ups of their of their eating disorders and anxiety around that. And so I think the first thing is to determine whether you should be following certain accounts because that can certainly push you in a direction that is not necessary. And as someone who talks about healthy eating the whole time, puts out content, puts out recipes, you know, I'm not the person that you should be following either. However, if you feel uh, brave enough to to go out and, and line it and try and you know do simple things that will heighten your defenses against it getting ill, but also strengthen your body's ability, your mind's ability to be healthier, more 
vital and, and, and vivacious. You know, I always start in the same way. I, I always recommend people do the same thing that I did when I started out on my, my journey, which is change one thing at a time. For me, it was breakfast, right? It was the, the simplest meal that I could change up. It was something that I could commit to every single day. And that simple change spurred on a cascade of other changes throughout my lunches, but my, also my meditation regime and my, my running, my yoga and all the rest of it. You know, that singular change compounded over time. And, and the one thing I want people to, to understand is that your diet doesn't have like an incredible impact after week one or day one. It's not massively changed by the inclusion of a quote unquote superfood. It's more the changes that you can sustain over time. So if you can only change one thing and commit to that, that is honestly one of the best things that you could do. And so I had this mantra of like, just one more, like at, at every mealtime, can you think of just adding one more fruit, nuts, seed, or vegetable, you know, even if it's one meal a day or one meal a week, it doesn't matter as long as you can commit to that and you make that change and you make it sustainably. I love that. That's such a great approach. So you mentioned sugar before and I had my listeners send in questions. I don't know if we're going to have time to um, get to them, but one of the most common ones was asking about sugar, asking about fruit. And you just said like, can I add one more fruit? I think fruit mm. is really vilified. So can we just kind of in a general way address sugar and what sugars may be more harmful, maybe what to avoid and what's actually okay? Definitely. Yeah. So it's a very common question. You're right. Something I get asked about a lot. In fact, I dedicated a whole podcast episode to just discussing sugar and its various guises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and what uh, my my general advice is sugar in, in small amounts. And when I say small, we're talking like less than three to four teaspoons a day. And most people get that in one serving of orange juice less than three to four teaspoons a day is unlikely to do harm to uh, people of, of, of adult ages. For kids, it's, it's half of that. But for adult ages, that's okay. So if you're adding a teaspoon to, um, I don't know, your delicious Thai-style dressing that you're going to put over a delicious salad or roast vegetables or whatever you're eating, don't worry about it. In fruit, what happens when you eat whole fruit whether it be berries, whether it be low sugar, whether it be banana, because it's constructed in a manner that is absorbable for us and actually it constructs in a way where the, the fibers are attached to the natural fructose that you find in fruits. It is absorbed slower in your digestive system such that you don't have those spikes of sugar in your blood. This changes for people who are more sensitive to sugar. And I'm talking about those who have pre-diabetes or full-blown uh, full established type 2 diabetes. However, for people who don't have those comorbidities, sugar in fruit is completely fine for you. Where it has issues is where it's refined. So excess white sugars that you'll find in fizzy drinks, in refined flours, cakes, biscuits, chocolates, that kind of thing. Also in sauces where they just jack it up. And unfortunately, because I, I do like fruit juice, 
But in fruit juices, it's it's the same as essentially having a, a Coca-Cola or even a Snickers bar or something like that. It, it is where the fiber has been taken out. And so you lose that blunting of the sugar affecting your blood. That's problematic. So that's what we need to be mindful of. Whereas sugar in fruit and, and all the natural guises that it comes in, we don't need to worry about as much. So, yeah. I know what everybody who's listening is thinking right now. And, and that's, what about honey, maple syrup? <laughs> I post kind of healthified desserts and stuff. And I know that like a sugar, like coconut sugar is sugar. But what is your take on that? So the marginal benefits of a less refined sugar are exactly that. They're marginal in terms of the impact on sugar pathways. It's the same. And unfortunately, some of those sugars are kind of worse than your brown or white sugars because they mainline straight into your liver and they hijack a particular pathway that leads to extra production of lipid particles um, that leads to more fat coursing through the bloodstream. So unfortunately, um, a lot of the sort of health claims that were popular about 10 years time about agave and maple syrup and all these different things, it's just the same as sugar. They taste slightly better in my opinion. So I might use maple syrup in a dressing, you know, or or another dessert, but I'm not kidding myself. It's still sugar. (laughs) I think I read somewhere recently that in order to get the benefits of like the minerals or something in coconut sugar, you can eat like pounds of it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. You'd have to eat a lot of that. Yeah. Follow up to that is what about artificial sweeteners, things like monk fruit, stevia, things like that. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So really interesting. So I used to be of the opinion that they were going to be um, innocuous or better for you. I've actually kind of changed my opinion on this. Um, So one thing is that the sweet taste unfortunately triggers some biochemical pathways that will lead to cravings. So when you, when you have the, the, it's almost like you can't have your cake and eat it with this kind of stuff. We have to be a bit more, uh, I hate to use this word, but we do need to uh, develop a relationship with restriction because unfortunately it will spiral out of control. If we, we feel that we can have the sweetness without any of the downsides and the other artificial sweeteners that are not derived from, let's say, healthier sources, whether it be a plant source or a, a monk fruit or whatever, those are universally pretty bad uh, from the limited amount of research that we have on them. And pragmatically speaking, I would say that we probably do not want to have artificial sweeteners in our system. And th- the biggest ask for all of us is to retrain our taste buds to appreciate bitter notes. A good example of this, right, is is how I've changed my chocolate habit over the last, say, I don't know, 20 years. So I'm 35 now. And uh, when I was a teenager, I'd love a chocolate bar every now and then. It would be this delicious, milky chocolate bar. And it would be wonderful. And, you know, we call it Galaxy. I don't know if you guys have got it in the US. And over time, since I've learned about the health benefits of, of cacao and stuff, I've gradually increased the percentage cacao of my chocolate such that now I'm like eating 85% chocolate and I love it. I love my 85% chocolate. I love the bitter notes. 
I love the flavor, the complexity to it. I put it in, you know, with like um, some fruit sometimes, you know, chocolate covered almonds with 85%. I love it. I don't consume a lot of it, but I definitely, definitely appreciate it more. And I think that's what we need to try and retrain our buds. So instead of swapping out the, the sugar for something that we feel is healthier, we actually need to retrain our taste buds to appreciate bitter notes even more. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've done that in the past. And I found personally that like, then when I went back to having something really sweet, it tasted so overwhelmingly mm. that I kind of yeah. lost my affinity for it. But I am like you, I am a chocoholic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I go for like the raw cacao or like the bittersweet or semi-sweet. Or, mm. Yeah. Um, Make me feel like some chocolate now. <laughs> <laughs> a little early here. It's like eight thirty in the morning. But All right. <laughs> okay. So to finish up, what should everybody be looking to incorporate in each meal? Is it fiber? Is it diversity? Is it color? Is it protein? What is your approach to that? Ideally, it's all of those. Uh, and I would say I would personalize it to where you feel that you need a little bit more attention. So for most people, and I'm talking about uh, from a population point of view, you look in the statistics, fiber is the main thing that we're, we're, we're missing out on. And I think the wellness industry in particular has promoted protein above everything else without, without really thinking about, okay, where are we actually lacking? The diversity of our microbes is lacking. We have more antimicrobials in our environment, which is having a, a detrimental impact on our gut microbiomes we tend not to have enough plants in our diet. So fiber at a population level is definitely the first thing I'd be thinking of. The second thing I think is greens. And by greens, I mean brassica vegetables, bok choy, tenderstone broccoli, broccoli, savoy cabbage, insert your greens. I'm not, you know, uh, I don't have a particular uh, affinity to one of those greens as whatever greens you've got in your fridge or on your, on your, um, worktop. And the reason why is because they're fantastic nitrate containing ingredients that are brilliant at opening up blood vessels, preventing dementia, improving muscular performance, cardiovascular health, as well as providing some cofactors for your liver and heightening your liver's innate ability to remove environmental pollutants. We do unfortunately live in a toxified world. And there's nothing we can really do about that apart from getting more color, more fiber in our diets, and also heightening our consumption of greens. There have been some really interesting studies looking at supplemental doses of sulforaphane, which is something that we find in green vegetables that heighten your liver's innate ability to remove environmental pollutants. And as the more I learn about, especially living in an urbanized environment like I am in London, I'm more sort of pragmatic about getting more greens into my diet and actually talking a bit more about it. So I, I don't mean to scare anyone, but that's definitely one thing I would I'd try and get more of. What is one thing that you think everybody should maybe stop doing that a lot of people do? And what is one thing that people should start doing today? Like one tip that everybody can do? Uh, I would say stop using your mobile phones first thing in the morning and last thing at night there's one thing I could do that will probably have a knock on effect on improving people's sleep. It would be that. And like my girlfriend definitely fits that description, you know, we're, we need to stop that happening. Uh, and I get it. It's tempting, you know, when it's right there, 
when you can work on your phone, when you can socialize on your phone, of course, you're going to be like, attracted to this thing that is geared towards addicting you. You know, it's, we're literally dependent on these devices, but we need to really establish a healthful relationship with our phones and social media for that matter as well. So yeah, if there was one thing I would say, it'd probably be that from a food point of point of view, I'd say up your fiber content and eat more plants. So funny because this morning I woke up at like 6.30 and I was lying in bed and normally like I'll get up and I'll do my journal gratitude list and I'll meditate. But I do always check my phone first. I'm calling myself out there. And this morning, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to do it. Today, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to start today. And the pull is so strong. And finally, I rationalize, like I justified in my head. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to check it now and then I won't check it and then I'm like lying there in bed scrolling at six yeah it's a yeah. real tough habit to break <laughs> it, it is honestly and I, start I had to break that yes yeah, start tomorrow yeah <laughs> I had to break that habit myself I was exactly the same you know and I think if I give myself the opportunity to like choose to look at one of the funny accounts that I follow on Instagram I'll be there like laughing away in bed and stuff so I've got to be really strict with myself and, and you know put the device away and make sure it's hopefully not in my bedroom. But if it is, I'm literally checking my aura ring to make sure that it's connected and then I'm off to bed. <laughs> Love it. Well, where can everybody find you, find your podcast, find your books, all of it. Oh, you can find everything at the doctorskitchen.com, the newsletter, the podcast, the books, all that kind of stuff is all on the website. So yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. It was great, great chatting. Thank you for coming on. Love talking to you. hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie. 